Now, um, now let's turn our attention to uh, the scripture. Okay, so we're going to be in John 16. John 16, starting in verse 16. It's quite a bit of text, so you can just uh, stay seated for it. And I, but I'd love for you to follow along and follow closely. It's, it's, a, it's a really beautiful text. We're wrapping up this this time, this conversation that Jesus has been, is his final conversation before Jesus goes off to the garden, before he goes off and gets taken and crucified. This is like, this is it. This is the last really, what, all you have left after this, according to John, is a prayer, which we'll hit on Good Friday. Uh, but this is the last teaching uh, before um, Jesus gives up his life. And so, um, so we're going to start in verse 16 and, and read all the way through. Here's... Jesus begins with a little riddle for us with these guys. Here's what it says. A a little while, and and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, "What, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew uh, that they wanted to ask him, so, so he said to them, is, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father." And his disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, do you believe now? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. I I enjoy uh, reading uh, sermons by the late uh, preacher, Pastor Fred Craddock. Um, Here's a line from one of his sermons entitled, uh, Why the Cross, I think was the name of it. The, the sermon, he says, he says this, and this speaks, I think, to this last section of John 16. If you believe in God, that is sometimes when your trouble starts. 
One day Jesus said to his disciples, get into the boat and go to the other side. And they did what he said, and they hit a storm. It was not because they disobeyed that they hit a storm. It was because they obeyed that they hit a storm. Believing in God means putting yourself in situations that may cause you to say, why did I do that? I thought God blesses you when you do right. Because of their faith, some people have stopped the mouths of lions, have won wars, have raised the dead, have had every kind of triumph in the world, but other people, because of their faith in God, have suffered. They have been, they have been chased and pushed and hurt and talked against and imprisoned because of their faith. Faith, hear this, faith is not a success story. Faith is a story that says, I take this up as my way of life. Ta-da, welcome to the Sunday morning. Good news, right? Fred is right. He's right. Sometimes your faith gets you in all sorts of trouble. Some of you know that. I've seen it actually happen to some of you. You get mixed in relationships out of sheer compassion and desire to see those kinds of people transform their lives. And then those people end up betraying you or really hurting you or they just refuse to change. And you get so hurt and frustrated by that. Sometimes you take a position on a doctrine maybe um, and you have family or you have friends that criticize you or malign you because you've taken the position on that doctrine. That's happening all the time now. Sometimes you take a beating verbally or relationally and you turn the other cheek and swallow down your desire to retaliate because Jesus told you to do that. Oh, and believe, don't be wrong. Believers, believers uh, dish out their fair share of hurting too. Unfortunately, I've seen a whole lot of that. I've grown up in the church, so I'm not naive. We Christians, we lie, we cheat, we neglect, we gossip, and we hurt sometimes quite on par with the so-called non-Christians of the world, don't we? And if you don't relate at all to um, what I'm saying about pain coming directly as a result of your faith, here's, here's the great, great leveler. We all relate to the fact that we suffer. We do suffer at times. We get sick, we lose loved ones, and we experience setbacks that aren't anyone's fault. It's just a part of life. To be fair and truthful to reality, I know a lot of unbelieving people that have had a lot of terrible things happen to them too. I have some of the sweetest non-Christian friends who've experienced terrible loss, terrible loss, who have got sick, who've had their bodies fail, these sorts of things, who have been cheated, who have been lied to, who have had to suffer through horrible health constraints. My point is just this. It's not a hard point to stress. It's not a hard point to get into your head because you know it is true. My point is just that pain in this life is pretty non-discriminatory. It dishes out pretty evenly to everybody. It makes its rounds and visits everyone sooner or later. The extra, though, here's the thing. The extra added layer of difficulty for the Christian is the mental, emotional, and spiritual dissonance that you experience with it all because of what you believe, isn't it? Like, it's like my non-Christian, non-believing friends, they don't have to worry about somehow the friction of, like, their faith, like, bashing against the rocks of what is true, like, what they're experiencing. Christians have to experience that. They're like, why? What is going on? On some level... We know as Christians, at least hopefully, there aren't neat and tidy answers 
uh, to why Christians who believe and sacrifice for an all-knowing, all-benevolent God uh, have to suffer just like everyone else. We hopefully know that there are, not, there are not neat and tidy answers to this, but we still often struggle knowing the proper kind of response in your life when you experience a lot of pain. Like you still struggle knowing exactly, am I being faithful? And this is the question I'm asking this morning in, in, in many ways. What does it look like for you as a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, what does it look like for you uh, to have a proper and faithful response when you're hurting? When you're hurting, when you're going through loss, when you're waiting for something that just won't come, that is such a, it's a good thing. Like, you, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're in a confused, like deeply confused, and you don't know what path to take, and you're crying out, and it's like it's weighing you down, it, are you being faithful? Like, if you have, you know, what does it look like to be faithful? Sometimes when I am preparing a sermon series, like the, the whole chunk of it, I'll look out in advance, um, reading it, you know, studying it, and I'll, I'll come across passages and I'll be like, ooh, yes, this one's gonna, this one's gonna be fire. Like, you know, and I'll get excited and eager. I'll be like, this is the t- text, you know. Um, this is like six, John 16 is like one of those things. It's like, a, oh, yes, you know, I can't wait to preach that. Until I get there. And then I study it more in-depthly, and, and then the Spirit does this thing, and then there's always something strange, coincidental, usually happening, but it's not a coincidence that, you know, that comes with that week of that preaching. And then I realize, oh, I was naive. Why didn't I give this to Dan or, <laughs> <laughs> or, or Barry or Brandon? Or, you, know, you know, it's like, why didn't I give it to one of the other guys? What was I thinking? I was so stupid. Um, you know, this is one of those weeks. This ending section of John 16 is one of those passages. The truth contained in the final words of Jesus in this conversation are not fun for a preacher, a preacher like me, to preach. This passage ends with a long conversation of Jesus having, having, uh, that he's having with his disciples right before he's you know, taken into custody, tried, and crucified. And the words Jesus gives here act as a kind of summary to everything he has said up to this point. I mean, there at the end kind of summarizes John's gospel, if you will. I, I, I really think that, um, you know, he's like, I've came from God. I've come into the world. I'm going to leave the world. I'm going to go back to the Father, right? You're, you're going to be in a whole lot of trouble. Don't worry. I have victory. What Jesus chooses to deliver to them and and to us in this section of John 16 is what I would call a bad news but really good news kind of message. That's what it is. And the reason I struggle, because you're like, how, why would you, why, what's the big deal, Matt? Just preach it. Preach the truth, Matt. Well, the reason I struggle to preach it is I'm not one uh, who looks forward to saying hard things. Shocker. Uh, but I'm just not that kind of guy. And many of us are like that, you know? Some of you are not. Some of you are like, I love to say hard things. Um, yeah, you, when you don't have any friends. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> but, like, I, I struggle with it. I'll be honest, you know. I'm not, you guys know if you come here, I'm not the fiery, like, yell, fire brimstone kind of preacher. I'm not. I'm much more of a conversationalist. Like, let's have a conversation. 
And so uh, I, I, this is one of those things where I struggle. And it's a, the lesson I think we get from the conversation with Jesus tempts me to say, I wish there was another way. I wish there was another way. You, you, you ever, um, and I don't mean I, I wish like a, 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 there was another way than following Jesus. I mean, I wish there was a different way when you're following Jesus. I wish there was another way when you were following Jesus. Have you ever, you ever said to a loved, one, a loved one of yours that phrase, I wish there was another way? You know, like just in brutal honesty. My daughter had her um, first cavity a couple months ago, and I took her in for the little procedure that she had. She asked Daddy, am I going to have to get a shot? I didn't lie. I told the truth. I said, Yes. You will. She melted. No, Dad, I hate shots. Please, Dad, please. Tears streaming down her face. No. Please don't let it happen. I said to her, I, I know, sweetie. I wish there was another way. And then I said something I'm really brilliant. Um, no. I said something like, like this. You, you, honey, you, you, don't, you don't understand this right now, but the pain that, that you're, you're going to go through is part of the process. Uh, but trust me. Trust me. It, it is ultimately for your good. Mm-hmm, right? The ending remarks of Jesus here are, are very much like that. You don't understand right now fully, but your pain is a part of the process. Please trust me. It will be for your good. Twice in the, uh, these final remarks of Jesus, he says something that I'm sure was like a gut punch to these guys when they were listening to it. In verse 20 he says, truly, truly, I say to you. And anytime Jesus says that, truly, truly, I say to you, when you're reading your Bible, here's what he's doing. He's saying, listen, what I'm about to tell you is really important. So perk up. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And then down at the very bottom, verse 33, in the world you will have tribulation, Take heart. You could also say the, the, the literal word there in the Greek is, but be bold. Be daring. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, uh, quick nerd moment. There's a lot of discussions among scholars surrounding these ending remarks of Jesus as to what specific time of sadness and specific time of relief and joy that he's referring to. In other words, is he, is he talking about the sadness from his death and the joy of his resurrection? Or is he looking beyond just the death and the resurrection? And, and, and he's kind of peering into the future in terms of how Christians will have to wait for his return. The general consensus of these scholars uh, seem to think that Jesus means his death and resurrection here in this moment. Um, now, the reason you might, if you're like, why? What's the, why is this so confusing? Well, the reason for the discussion is because when you, get, when you really look closely at it, you're like, why the ambiguity, Jesus? Like, just say it straight and plain, man. You know? 
Like, why the little? Because it's the very beginning of this section. When you read it, you probably were thinking, this is clunky. It's, like, it's not just the ESV's fault. You know, it's just like a weird, like all these little while statements. Why this repet? It's like a riddle almost sounding. Why all the little whiles? And why not just be plain? Just tell us direct and specific as to what you're talking about. Um, it's, it's really, it's, it's verse 16, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. Well, here's the thing. I, what if the ambiguity is meant to keep it all in view? Jesus is just so much more brilliant than we actually give him credit for. And I know we think a lot about Jesus. He's smarter than what you think. It seems to me that Jesus is in this sweeping statement is preparing them for the impending pain of the weekend that's coming, right? His death and resurrection. Yes, that is in view for Jesus, and he's talking to those guys about it. But he's also thinking of the disciples like us that will come much later who will be waiting for his second coming. So it's like he knows how to keep it all in there. So what's the major point that Jesus is stressing to us in these statements, in this conversation as he heads to the garden to pray, get arrested, and then crucified? What's the major point, the big idea that Jesus wants you to go home with? Jesus is telling us that he has victory. I win, is what Jesus is saying. But it won't always look like it. You need to know that. He's saying to them and to us, the last thing I want you to know before I go and get hung up on a tree and suffocate and die, absorbing all of your sin, the last thing I want you to know, it's really, really important. Please listen to me, is what he's saying. You don't fully understand it right now, but you are going to experience pain. You're going to experience loss. You're going to be confused. And you're going to experience all sorts of trouble. It's part of the process. But trust me, it will be for your good. And it will end. It will end and your joy. And your joy, by the way, is not a replacement, if you really catch this, and I could preach a whole other sermon on this. It's not that your joy replaces your sorrow. That's not what he said. And I don't know how he does it, but what he's saying is he's saying, no, 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 I take to whatever the degree you've had sadness, I take it, and it's the recipe and the material that I use to make it into joy. It's all his material. He uses your sadness. Somehow, in some miraculous way, it's crazy, and I, and I just love him for it. He's that good. It's the whole thing Paul, the Apostle Paul will later work out in detail in Romans 8. Go read Romans 8, the whole ending, and this is what he's talking about. What we suffer is just not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. But Jesus is not saying all this to, to them and to us to just be honest and leave you and I in tears. Like, well, he was honest, but this really stinks. No, 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 no. His honesty is about equipping you. It, it, it really is. It is about equipping us. At the beginning of the verse, he tells us this in, in, in 33. I have said these things to you. What things? <laughs> what things? Everything he has said. 
Go back and read, read the whole section from 13 on. I have said these things to you, that in me, in me, you may have peace. In other words, Jesus is saying, I have told you who I am. I'm the true son of God. Truly, I've come down from the Father out of love for you to save you. And I've told you that the Father himself deeply loves you. Like, he loves you completely to the bottom. He's come for you. And if you trust me, and you really believe this, you can live through whatever comes your way with peace. Doesn't mean you don't cry. Doesn't mean that you don't rage. Doesn't mean you don't clench your fists sometimes. It doesn't mean that you don't pray through clenched teeth. But you can get through it. If you trust him. It's what he's telling us. You can't avoid the pain, but you can live through it with a kind of stability, a kind of poise, a kind of hope and grit. You can develop a kind of courage to keep fighting through the sadness, loss, confusion, trouble that you face, whatever you face, because you know him. You know him, and you know he knows you, and you know that nothing has happened to you that hasn't happened to him. There's no loss, and it can be terrible. It can be terrible. But the father has experienced loss in his son. He has been mocked. He has been hated. He has been poor. He has been an outcast. There's nothing that he, he, he does not himself take on and experience. He's just willing to take his own medicine. And he loves you. And he's moved heaven and earth for you. And if you know that and you get it deep into you, you can face anything. That's what he's telling us. And you know he won't abandon you. But it's really hard. It's just really stinking hard. We can say these things. We can know that Jesus has victory. But then there's life. And there's the days that are really stinking depressing. There's the days that really just pummel us, the weeks, the seasons, the years maybe. And it's really, really hard. I hesitate because this is such a trivial example, but it will get us, our, our minds on track with this idea. If you know me well, you know I'm an avid soccer fan. If you would like to judge me for that, go ahead. But the games I watch take place in the UK and in Europe. They're on different time zones, obviously. So very often on the weekends when these games take place, I don't get to watch them live because, ta-da, I'm here. Yeah. I have my priorities in order. <laughs> so I will record these games, obviously, and then I watch them later, okay? So here's the thing. Very often, when I leave this building, <laughs> what do I do? I check the scores, <laughs> right? Because if it's a win, it's like, well, this is going to be enjoyable, right? I know the ending, for my team at least. It's a victory. If it's not, I, well, maybe I won't watch. <laughs> but if it's a victory, it's like, oh, I'm going to sit down. I'm just going to have a bowl of popcorn, you know, and just and take this in and enjoy it. You know what's shocking and embarrassing, and, and I fully admit, this is pathetic, 
because I get way too emotionally wrapped up in it sometimes. But I know I'm not the only one here. The sad thing is, is that there are times, even when I know the outcome, <laughs> in the middle of watching the game, I get anxious. Like, it's like, I'll look over at my wife and I'll be like, why am I sweating? Like, what is the, my problem? I know that they win, but I'm waiting for the win to take place, and it's like I'm nervous. And that's pathetic and silly, and I know. But even knowing that the victory is going to come somehow doesn't always soothe me. This, friends, is so much what the Christian life is like. You're called and commanded to think and absorb that it's victory in the end. But the process, the journey till you get there is just full of moments of anxiety. And Jesus knows that. That's what I want you to hear. Like the whole conversation he's having with us here proves that he fully anticipates how hard it will be for us. That he, he just knows that wading through pain is just not exactly one of our spiritual gifts. Nobody has ever walked into my office or sent me an email said, you know what my spiritual gift is? Wading through pain. No one. We are all very bad at it. And he knows that. And he's compassionate towards it. But if you reflect carefully, you'll notice there are some key elements to this conversation that you must remember. Must remember uh, as, throughout your journey uh, to, to help you develop trust in Jesus even when you're in pain. Because if deep resilience, like in your life, through your struggles, if deep resilience, uh, deep peace is what you're after, it's only going to come through relational trust. That, that's the thing. Peace, real deep soul peace, like a kind of peace that brings a poise and a grit, a fighting spirit, if you will, that, that comes from relational trust in Jesus. So three things I'll give you, leave you with, that I think we find in the text. I could give you more, but I'll just stick to the ones that I think are in the text. That we should remember, because I think remembering these things will help activate this trust in Jesus, particularly when it's hard. First, remember that your questions and confusions are totally okay. It's totally okay. It's welcome. It's even encouraged. The chapter begins with these strange little while comments. A little while, you won't see me. Then a little while later, you're going to see me again. It's kind of ambiguous. Totally throws the disciples. They have no clue what he's talking about. They've spent all this time with him, and yet, here they are. They still don't know what he's talking about. You, you and I know, you know, right? We're like, you idiots. But you're on this side of the cross. They don't know. They're steeped in confusion. Jesus knows this, and he draw, he, it's like he draws it out of them. Verse 19, Jesus, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. See, he, they didn't ask him. They're saying it to each other. He, he, he says, I, I, I know what you want to ask. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant? Huh? As Christians, you see, you can know where you came from. You, you, you can know the destiny of your life, like I came from God. I know that I will go back to God. You can know that. The Bible's really clear about that. You can know that in the end, Jesus will raise you from the dead just like he did himself. 
But you can't, you can't always know the process to get there and why it's happening. Why did you not get the job? Why did you not get the marriage? Why did you not get the kid? Why did I get sick like this? I mean, there are still weeks. I'm like three days out from preaching a sermon, and I get really sick. And I'm like, really? God? Like, do you not know the schedule? Do you, do you not see the calendar? This, doesn't, this makes no sense. So there's things like that about life, and you just don't know the answers to. You can't always know what's happening in the moment, but you can know exactly who you are, what you are to do. Jesus is patient and compassionate enough to deal with these questions. Heck, he anticipates it, right? He anticipates it in them, he anticipates it in us. So here's what I would just say. Remember to ask your questions. It's okay. Share. This is a big one. Share them with other people. Share them with other people in the church. Your doubts, your confusions, your questions, no matter how simple or basic they are, I don't care. These disciples say, notice in 17, John tells us, they said to one another, you know, for all their faults, and they had plenty, at least the disciples were willing to actually look at each other and say, I have no idea what's going on, do you? That's actually a great element to community. It's a great element to the church. Because too often people get inside the church and they're like, oh, I don't want to say I don't understand that. Because then I might totally look like an idiot. Well, guess what? We're all idiots. We're all in process. We're all trying to figure out the Bible. We're all trying to figure out what it means to make the right decision in life. And it would be much better for us all to start admitting exactly our confusions. It, it creates a whole lot of safety. Questions generate learning, growth, and development. And as soon as I run into Christians that ask a lot of questions, basic questions, I'm like, that's going to be a mature Christian. When I meet people that are just never share their confusions, I'm like, they're immature. It's just a red flag. Total assurance, like deep theology, actually causes somebody to be like, I can ask whatever I want. I can ask whatever I want. There's a peace about it. They generate learning, growth, development. They, so pick things apart. Jesus is big enough to handle it, trust me. Questions and, and, and vulnerability, sharing confusion, doubts, faith, and struggles tend to have an infectious, cascading effect in community. Questions create a safe environment and a maturing environment. No one wants to be a part of a church where no one feels safe enough to ask the questions and the things that they're dealing with about God. When someone shares a struggle or a doubt or an uncertainty with this like humble curiosity to know and love God more fully, it's really freeing to others. No matter how elementary or difficult, you know, like there's a lot of people, you know, the, the, the um, ex-evangelicals now, the, the, there's a whole movement of people, right? They, they're not in the church anymore because they're like deconstructing the faith. And I'm like, I, I want all of them here. I would like all of them to be here. Just come in, deconstruct it. Spend as much time as you would like sitting here without faith, not knowing what to do, not necessarily fully believing in things anymore, and wrestle with it. Find a safe space to do it. And we should be people that allow that kind of space and the kind of people. We will all have moments where it's like, oh, things didn't make sense. I thought I knew, and now I don't know if I know for sure. This leads me to my second thing. Second thing to remember 
Remember to train yourself to pray. Train yourself to pray. Six times, six times between chapter 14 and 16, Jesus makes these bold comments on prayer. I'll read it to you again. This is uh, verse 23 and 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is very important, he says, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Six times he says this. It's like if you, don't, if you read chapters 13 through 16 of John, this is, should be one of the things that stands out. That Jesus repeatedly gets very bold and daring on the issue of prayer. I mean, he is essentially like, I dare you. I dare you. Ask in my name. Do it. Why are you not talking to him? You have direct access to the Father. Ask. Talk to him about everything. Share everything that's on your mind with him constantly. The two abundant truths Jesus gets across in this final discourse is this. I love you, and I listen to you. I listen to you. Jesus wants us to know that the Father delights in our prayers. There is no reception desk. There's no waiting in line. You're not going to be put in hold. You don't have to go through middle management to get to him. He just simply invites us to ask. We are dared to ask. Jesus says, ask whatever in my name so that your joy may be full. And all I would say is that prayer is very much a discipline. It does not come natural to you. It does not come natural to me. It is something like all other habits. You have to start somewhere and build and build on it before it becomes a more natural rhythm of your life. Thirdly, this. Remember, we all overestimate the strength of our faith. We all do it. Again, Jesus anticipates it. And it's part of the journey. Verse 29 his disciples said, ah, oh, like after this whole conversation, here's these, these guys, ah, oh, now, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. So after this long, unbelievably open conversation and intimate talk with Jesus, the disciples proclaim their confidence. They're like, we've arrived. We've got it. We know what this is about. We know you, Jesus, and we trust you, Jesus. And the question mark, probably on your uh, translation, some translations might have an exclamation point because the translators are trying to figure out the inflection in Jesus' voice. That's what's taking place here. But it's trying to express that Jesus isn't so confident in their confidence. And so it kind of goes like this. Jesus is saying it like this. Do you believe? Do you though? Really? Because actually, very soon, guys, your doubts... And your fears will get the best of you, and you will all abandon me at my worst moment. Jesus doesn't say that, actually, though, to shame them. And I want you to get this as we wrap up. That's not what he's doing. He's trying to teach them something so important. Don't misplace your confidence. 
we have that habit all the time. The commentator Frederick Bruner says this about this. Jesus knows our fallibility. He knows that we will never have peace as long as we look at ourselves as we are or at our history as we have lived it or at our future as we hope to live it, knowing who we are. There is only one place in all the world where we can have peace, in me, in Jesus' faithful, undying friendship with us, in his infallible love for us, in his not seeing our fallibility as tragic, but as something almost inevitable. In me, you may have peace, Jesus promises, because who he is and what he has done for us far exceeds anything we can be or do for him. So our peace, our peace in pain doesn't come from our avoidance. That should hopefully be obvious to you. But although we still do it at times, it, 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 our peace doesn't come from shopping our way through the next trinket so that we numb our pain because we do that too. It's like I just, I get full of pain. It's like I just get on Amazon. I get full of pain, I just go to Target. I, just get, I get full of pain, I just go to Lowe's. I just get full of pain, I go to the bar. We, we, this is, you, you're not gonna buy your way to peace. This is something we also hopefully should know by now, but it still gets the best of us. And it's not, certainly not gonna come from abandoning Jesus and taking up a life less confined by the difficult loving parameters that the Christian life puts on us, which is what a lot, I would say most of the people right now in the world and those in the world that have left the church, that's what they're doing. I'll have more peace if I just redefine it on my own terms. These are the strategies they're trying, ironically and sadly, unknowingly becoming deeply religious about their own man-made religion, like fitness or diet or children raising or whatever. It's just a new religion. These strategies don't work. It's raging, full of hopelessness, hate, violence, suicide, loneliness, and despair. Look at the world. Is it actually reflect peace? But there's another pitfall that many of us find our way in the church at some point. We do some reading, we do a little study, we listen to some good preachers or whatever it is, or some good podcasts, and we nail down some much-needed doctrines of the faith, and subtly, little bit by little bit, we become these little confident disciples. I get it. I know the doctrines. I read systematics, or I did this. I read really big, thick books, and I have it down now. Do you? Do you? Because that strategy works until it doesn't work anymore. And then life hits you, and you realize, wait, where did all these big books, what are they doing for me? I'm struggling. And then your fickle faith begins to emerge. What the last conversation with Jesus reminds us of is your peace is not found in your work ethic or your willpower. Your peace is found in looking at your liabilities, not your strengths. It's actually looking at your liabilities and your weaknesses and seeing, oh my gosh, he loves me anyway. He's faithful anyway. He goes and dies anyway, knowing that they're gonna fail him. It's looking and realizing and believing that no failure in you changes his love for you and his victory over sin and death. Full stop. 
And so I hope that's where you're at today. I, I hope you see this love in him today. If you don't, and you're struggling because you're in, a, in pain, or you're just in a lot of questions, or you're sorting out your faith, I hope you keep asking. I hope you, you feel safe enough here to deconstruct whatever you need to deconstruct. Is just be honest about it and authentically interested in truth and not proving some point to your parent or your friend. You know, so just keep exploring, keep asking, keep reading his words, keep sharing your doubts in community and start praying if you're not praying and then keep praying and keep asking. To get back to what Fred said at the beginning, the life we take up is a life of trusting Jesus. It is a life of the cross. But it is not a life without overflowing love and it is not a life without peace. And it is not a life that doesn't end in victory. That much we can be sure of. And so you're invited to come forward to this station or this station, taking part in remembering that victory. This bread, Jesus took it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And he took the cup of wine and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, the new promise in my blood. And so we come forward and we remember it and we reflect on it, that he, he loves you and he's with you. All of your problems are not solved. All of your, your daily, weekly, monthly, yearly problems are not solved. But in the end, you will have joy. And so you eat it and you drink it down and you try to remember it. If you're not a Christian this morning, Please, I'm so glad you're here. Keep asking questions until you're ready to come forward and take part in this. Let us pray. Father, we love you and we thank you this morning for this conversation that you are willing to have of your honesty, but your love <laughs> and the wonderful teaching that you've given us to help us, help us pray more, to help us ask the questions that we need to ask and to help us realize that, that we are weak, but you, you are so strong and that we can rely on you and we can trust in you and we can get through it. Remind us by your spirit that we overestimate our own abilities and our own confidence, but that when we are weak, we look to you and we receive the strength that we need. And so I pray that for all of us in this room this morning, for those that are in pain or hurting right now, Father, please, by your spirit, give them a supernatural peace that all will be well at some point. We just don't know when. And so let us all remember this morning to hang on, even when it hurts, to hang on. It's in Jesus' name, amen.